0: We've been asking ourselves for a couple of weeks, who is Jesus? We've had two messages thus far, and yet again, today, we will ask that question again. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? John 11, we'll come back to that in just a moment. I want to share my heart with you a little bit, and a lot of this has to do with this beautiful day that we're celebrating, the fourth year of this ministry, Celebrate Recovery During Power Conference, I felt a a real shift in the heart and the life of our church. If you were here for Power Conference at all, say amen. amen. God really challenged us with some powerful messages. One of those messages was preached by Brother Daniel Buchanan about Rahab. And the fact that God can save anybody, anywhere, anytime, according to His will and His purpose. And in His power and his, his sovereignty, God can do what He pleases. I believe that. And so, I know some wicked people. I know some people that have gone down some paths that are broken and devastated. They're fractured and there's no hope. Well, today for a few minutes, I want us to attack that despair. I want us to attack that hopelessness. I want us to think about the people in our lives that we come in contact with each and every single day the people that we know very well, the people that we don't know very well. But the fact that we come in contact with them and then remember the responsibility that we have as people, as people who are in the faith, as Christians, those who are born again, what our responsibility is to those people. And so many people that I know personally need Jesus Christ in such a desperate way. I was flying back from Turkey and had... 12 hours to be alone in that little chair and think about all that was coming over the next few weeks and I thought about today a lot. I began to think about the people in my life that I know, acquaintances, co-workers from the past, people in ministry, other pastors, other preachers, evangelists, all the people that God allows me to know, the church family here. And I went and I started looking in my uh, apps on my phone and I looked through my Google Contacts and I had 1,000 864 contacts in my phone. And at some point, at some time, I've called that person, I've texted that person. Uh, some of those people, of that 1,864, I have a conversation with each and every day. I have access to that person. Some of them, I've only ever had one contact, one moment, one phone call, one text. And there was a reason to save their number, and I have their number, and I had contact with them. And all of us have people we come in contact with each and every day. If you work a job, say amen. Amen. Unless you work by yourself, in your home, by yourself, in your basement, with your computer, and you own your own business, more than likely you work around other people. All of us know people. We have access to people. We go to the grocery store, we buy groceries, and there at that grocery store are people. You can walk downtown to go to dinner and you'll run into people. Every time you go out to eat, there's a waiter or a waitress and they are a person and they have a soul. And no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter your socioeconomic status, every single person under the sound of my voice, every single person ever born will spend eternity somewhere. All life is eternal life. Well, you say, I refuse to participate in the idea that when I die, I don't just become dust or I just go to sleep and never wake up. I refuse to participate in the idea that there is life after death. Be guaranteed, be 100% sure that every person under the sound of my voice, when death comes calling for you, it will be the finality of life here, but it will be the beginning of eternal life somewhere. And the only difference between separation from God for eternity and being in the presence with God for all of eternity comes down to what you do and how you respond to the wooing, the drawing of the Holy Ghost of God. And that when your eyes are open and you see Christ for who he is, how you respond to the truth that you know and see. You will spend eternity Somewhere. And so will all 1,864 contacts in your phone. They will all spend eternity somewhere. And during Power Conference, my heart was really shifted. My heart was really awakened to the fact that it's been a long time since I took time to think about all the people I know. Life the last year and a half for me has been a little crazy, it's been a little busy. Some things in my life have shifted and changed. And sometimes the busyness of life will take away the urgency and the weight of the people that we know, that we even love, or even that live in our own home, and where they will spend eternity somehow falls to the background when it should be the most prevalent thing in conversation. Where will you spend eternity? And some people in this room, your spouse is lost And undone without Jesus. Some of you in this room, you were faithful to parent your children. You did all that you could. You brought them to church. But now it seems like there is no faith. There is no belief. And they're in a place that you can't even believe or recognize. And for us today, CR Sunday... Celebrate Recovery Sunday is a great reminder. It's a valuable reminder to all of us that our mission, our goal as a church, as a people in the kingdom of God, our goal comes down to one word, and that's people. It's people to bring God glory and honor. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And in the reflection of the glory that you give God, there will be other people around you that will notice what you're doing with your life. And Jesus called you, he mandated to you that if you belong to me, then the mandate for your life is to be salt and to be light, to be a difference maker. If you are in the kingdom of God today, if you're saved and on your way to heaven and you know it and you're not ashamed of it, say amen. Amen. Everyone that just said amen, you have a mandate on your life. You have a call on your life. You may not like this. This may feel like pressure, but it's not undue pressure. You are responsible for other people's lives, with the way that you live your life. And today is a great reminder of our responsibility. We all know people. We all have acquaintances. We all have friends. We all have family and all of them. We'll spend eternity somewhere. We've all been called to do our dead-level best, to point to truth, to point to hope, and embody and embrace who Jesus is In front of those people. Now, here's what we're up against. Here's why this topic is not so easy. This is why it is so difficult. Even now in this moment, I feel the pressure of what reality is for all of us. None of us do our very best. None of us do what we really could do if we put all of our effort and energy into this. I can't tell you how many times in this past week I have failed God to say what I probably should have said. And the truth is, it's not that I'm disobeying, it's that I'm not paying attention enough to listen to be told what to do. It could be that the blood of a soul that had an opportunity to hear truth could be on your hands if you're not listening to the leadership of the Holy Spirit It's serious. We're talking about life and death. And it could be that the antidote to the incurable disease that your friend has, your family member has, that incurable disease that can only be cured by Jesus Christ himself. It could be that he in his sovereignty and in his plan is going to use you to reach someone who's lost. And the problem, the issue that we fight, that we face every day, it's been talked about a little bit already today, is the human condition. The human condition, everyone say that with me. The human condition, once again, the human condition. Yeah, that's what we fight. You see, the human condition, even in saved people, is evident. The fallen nature of mankind, even in saved people, is evident. I'm saved, praise God. I'm sanctified, which means separated, praise God. But I'm still waiting on one element. Glorification. I am justified, I'm set free, I'm redeemed, praise the Lord, but my wicked, rotten flesh still wakes up with me every day. And that part of me is not saved. That part of me is fractured, it's broken. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I die daily, get on your cross, pick it up and follow me. It's the war, it's the struggle. And what we see oftentimes, even as saved people, is that we notice that the human condition has people in a place that somehow we feel like we have taken the moral high ground. And we go, well, I, I never shot heroin into my veins. I never had an alcohol problem. I never stole from my company. I never did what he did to his wife. I never did all these things you can put into this category of just vile, terrible sin. If not, but for the grace and the mercy of God, when he arrested your soul, you have no idea what you could have become. God was gracious and merciful to you and he opened your eyes and you responded to the wooing and the drawing of the Holy Ghost of God and now because of Jesus and nothing to do with you, you get to spend eternity in heaven but now you have a responsibility to tell others what you know. You must. The house is on fire. The building is burning. You're standing in the front yard. You see the flames and yet you let your loved ones walk right in the front door with no warning. And now God's brought us to a place where as people of God, it's going to be more than just, well, I give my tithe and I pray for the church and CR does its thing. No, this is where we dive in head first to the critical issue, the critical problem that is facing all of us today. And that's the fact that we know people who, if they died today, they would die and they would die and go to hell. It should break our heart. It should crush us to think about someone we know, someone we love, spending an eternity away from God. Through Power Conference and much of what's happened around here lately, God has reassigned us and reestablished us in this burden for lost people. And here's the truth. No matter what the tool is that the enemy uses to keep someone blind, it can be as obvious as heroin in a needle or it can be as subtle as pride. No matter what it is, every single one of us were born with that nature. Every single one of us battles something every single day. And if not but for the grace and the mercy of God, there's no telling where you would be. And that tool, whatever Satan is using, the fact that you're not addicted to drugs today is a reason for you to open your mouth and say, Glory to God, thank you, Heavenly Father. The fact that you are not an alcoholic and that you cannot go seven hours without having a fifth of vodka in your house, you ought to open your mouth and say, Thank you, God, for protecting me from myself. And then you need to weep for those, cry out to God for those who every few hours must feel an opiate hit their bloodstream, who are shackled to the floor of despair. And say, God, would you use me to reach down into the lowest place where the lowest sinner is and use me as salt and light and as a voice of truth in love. And Holy Ghost, would you do the work that only you can do. Celebrate recovery is not just about alcohol and drugs. Celebrate recovery. What we are celebrating today as a people is the recovery of the human condition that thank God I'm on my way to heaven. Not from a place of pride, but from a lowly place of gratitude that God came by and did what only he could do. Thank God I'm on the straight and the narrow path. And really every day I am recovering from who I am. That same rascal that I shave on Tuesday morning is the same rascal I wake up with on Wednesday morning and I have to shave him. It's the same problem. It's the same issue. It's me. I'm the problem. I'm the issue. And that's why your salvation obviously is the eternal and the primary issue. That's why you should shout the victory that you're saved. Boy, three or four people here excited about being saved. You should shout the victory that you're saved. Praise God. You weren't born in Togo. You weren't born in Papua New Guinea. You, you have a language and a Bible, and you know what the name Jesus means. Somebody pray, say praise God. Glory to his name. Amen. You're saved. Act like it. But now you have a duty. You have a charge, and it's heavy. That's why God is equipping you to be what he expects you to be. He's not setting you up on some pedestal for you to fail. He's not setting you up with a pressure, with a task that you cannot be successful at. That's why he says in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior so that you can be a useful tool. The flesh is wicked, it's rotten, and it's an element that one day will be put to final death. There is coming a day. There is coming, bless God, a day where Winston Parish will never fail God ever again. There's coming a day, Brother Bill, I I will never let my God down ever again. I'll never disappoint him. He'll never look at me and say, oh, you could have, you should have. No, I'll never feel guilt or shame or anguish again because at that moment of glorification, when I'm home in heaven, at that perfect moment, I'll see him face to face. I'll hear well done and I'll hear welcome home. And that fight will be over. But until that day, it is a fight. It is a struggle. It is a war. And you have to be willing to fight it. So I want to go on the attack a little bit here. I want to go up against the grain of what we've allowed ourselves to believe about people who are in a desperate place who need Jesus. I want to go on the attack against the idea that it's too late or that it's never going to happen. I want to take a swing at hopelessness and despair that someone you love, someone you know, someone you care about is too far gone for Jesus. I want to go on an offensive today against the unbelief and the doubt of God's people that God is still able to save anybody, anywhere, anytime, according to His will and His purpose. I want to do it now as we transition Asking ourselves yet again, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I want us to take the Gospel of John again and I want us to ask that question. Who is Jesus? And here in a moment I want you to see Jesus as the reason that Lazarus should have still been in the house. The reason that Lazarus should have still been in the house the house. Let's pray. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come back into your presence and God, for just a few minutes, I pray that you would stir the church. God, I pray for the one that's here today who has a son, a daughter, a husband, a grandchild, a friend, a co-worker, a family member who's lost and undone without Jesus. God, there may be some situations here that are desperate, some problems and some issues, God, that seem way too far gone. But Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, that you would put that burden to pray for that lost loved one, that lost friend back in the heart of the person who's responsible for praying. Back in the heart of the life of the person who's responsible to live it out. And that God, through your word, we'd see Jesus as the reason that Lazarus should have never been in the grave, but still in the house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. John 11, let me set this background for you for just a second very quickly As John 11 begins, Jesus stands in the shadow of the cross. Very soon now, he will go to the cross and he will die. He will resurrect himself in power. This is just a little time that's left in the area beyond the Jordan as he heads to Jerusalem. This story here in John 11 happens, as the Bible says, 15 furlongs or 1.8 miles from Jerusalem. This city of Bethany. It's on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. He's close now to Jerusalem. And Jesus knows a family. He knows a man named Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. If you're a student of the Word of God, you've heard this story many times. Lazarus has become very sick, and through his sickness, we're about to witness a miracle that produced so much glory and honor to God the Father. It so confirmed the deity of the Son of God. It led directly to the cross, but on the way to the cross, it strengthened the faith of the disciples. And even that day, there were hundreds of people there in the city, most of them Jews, who that day believed because of what happened in front of their very eyes. Lazarus came forth out of the grave. Go to John 11. Let's read the first five verses. Now, a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister, Martha. It was Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Go to verse number 14. There's some time and discussion that takes place. The disciples ask Jesus about Lazarus and his condition. And then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. How can that be? We've just read that Jesus said that this sickness is not unto death. Yet in verse 14, he says plainly, Lazarus is dead. Let me just start off by saying this. You do not understand and you do not know how God will use a situation or a circumstance for his glory. You have no clue. You are looking through a glass darkly. And it may even be that God allows certain suffering, that God allows certain people to go a certain direction in His sovereignty at the end of the day for His glory. Well, you say that's a mean God, that's, that's a harsh God. No, it's a God that demands glory, honor, and praise at all times. If you can't come to terms with God is a jealous God, In holiness and righteousness, then you will never come to a place where you can find perfect peace in his will for your life. It may be that God chooses to put you through a season of suffering for his glory. It may be that a friend, a loved one, a child even would have to walk a path, go down a place that is not in the perfect will of God, but it's in the permissive will of God, all for his glory. You don't see everything the way God sees it. And even in this moment, the disciples hear one thing and then they hear the exact opposite thing and it feels like a contradiction. But all at the same time, on the back end of it, Jesus already knows what's going to happen and he knows that God the Father is going to receive glory. He knows that the Jews will believe. God sees it all, church. And there are some situations and there are some circumstances that I know personally in this room, I see your face and I know what you're going through. And there is no way that you can see that God is getting glory in this situation, getting glory in this circumstance. But let me remind you that he loves you enough to do what's best for you and he loves you enough to allow whatever to happen to happen for his glory. The church said amen. Amen. When Jesus heard that, He said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And then just a few verses later, he says, he's dead. Well, you might as well just trust God. You might as well just trust the word of the Lord. He's already said that it's not unto death. Yet problems ensue. He says, Lazarus is dead. Be glad for your sakes that I was not there. How harsh does that sound? Be glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. Can you imagine loving Lazarus and Jesus saying, well, it's a good thing I wasn't there. He died. Does that feel out of place? Does that feel abrasive? Again, you must understand that for the glory of God, God will move heaven, God will move earth, and yes, God in His sovereignty will even allow suffering. Jesus arrives in Bethany. There, before he even gets to the place where Lazarus has died, outside of Bethany on the road, he meets Martha. Go to verse 21. Then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. If you'd have been on time, if you'd have showed up when we called for you, if you would have come in our time when we knew you were needed, this wouldn't have happened. But I know now that even now, who whatsoever thou will ask of God, God will give it to thee. And Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Mary, The sister, she's nowhere to be found. She's not with Martha waiting for Jesus at the top of the road. She's not waiting outside of Bethany, waiting for Jesus and his disciples, the caravan, to walk into Bethany. Mary is at home. And Mary is so overcome with grief and despair that the mourners, the Jews that were there with them in Bethany, that knew Lazarus, that knew the family, they've been allowed into the house. And Mary's in the living room. She's unconsolable. She's in the house weeping. She's there with the mourners. Go to verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. She repeats the same thing that Martha does. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He said to Mary, where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. If you're familiar with this story, you know what happens. Jesus gets to the tomb where Lazarus is. He sees the stone. He tells him to move the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. The stones move and there comes Lazarus out of the grave. What we know about Jewish culture, Jewish custom, is that the grave clothes would have wrapped Lazarus from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. There would have been great compression around his ankles and around his femur bones and all the way up to his hips. His arms would have been bound. It would almost look, if you will, like a mummy in that tomb. The moment Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, I believe with all of my heart that Lazarus, he would have not been able to walk, that Lazarus literally levitated out of that grave. And then Jesus told his friends and those around him to loose him from the grave clothes. And Jesus spoke just a few words and in those words Lazarus who was stinking, who was rotting, all of the blood began to uncoagulate and the vessels open and his lungs repair and expand and fill full of fresh air and his eyes reset in perfect place and his brain began to work and his ears began to hear and the first thing that he saw was a shroud over his face. The second thing that he saw was his friend Jesus who said Lazarus come forth I believe that with all of my heart this is not a fairy tale this is not metaphorical this is the power and authority of God Jesus Christ the son of God in all deity and all power speaking words and raising a man from death to life and what a story that is we could preach all day on the resurrection power that took place in Bethany we could preach all day on the I am statement of Christ But that's not what I want you to see. I want you to take a step back with me and understand something. I praise God for that story and truly, I could preach all day on that. The fact that the Jews believe. There's so much in this story. If you don't know the story, go back and read it all. But there's one element, one thing that I want you to see and let me do that by asking you as a student of the Word of God this question. Answer for me this question. Why... Was Lazarus in the grave? Why was he in the grave? We say, well, pastor, he was dead. The Bible even records the condition of the corpse. He stunk. What do you mean, why was he in the grave? Let's back up into the context of this story and let's understand who it is we're talking about here. We're talking about Mary. We're talking about Martha. We're talking about Lazarus who knew Jesus. The Bible says who loved Jesus and who Jesus loved back. And to know Jesus and to love Jesus is to understand, even if it's in the most minute sense possible, who he really is and what he's capable of doing. The Bible is very clear about the relationship that they had. They had sent for him for a reason. Why would you call Jesus to come to your sick brother if you don't believe that Jesus can do something about it when he gets there? They understood who he was. They may not have seen everything about his deity, they may have not known all about his power. But if you look here, go to this 22nd verse. Martha says, But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Do you realize what Martha is saying? She's saying, yes, he's dead. He's in the grave. But even now, I believe that if you'll do it, if you'll reach into the grave, and if you'll ask the Father, he'll give it to you because of who you are. So then let me ask the question again. Why was Lazarus in the grave? Because of doubt, unbelief, and the human condition that you have And that I have. Even people who know Jesus, who love Jesus, and who understand the capacity and the power of the Holy Ghost of God can oftentimes be subdued into a mindset and to a lifestyle that robs you and that allows you to live beneath the privilege of what God has established for His children. Martha told him, I know now that you're able to do it. This is the fatal condition of humanity on display. And even in the lives of those people who love Jesus, it can happen. You can know this because of the locations and the postures of those involved. The locations and the postures of those that are involved. Where was Lazarus? He's in the tomb. Where was... Mary, she wasn't out waiting for him. She wasn't looking for him. She wasn't at the top of the road. She was in the house with the mourners weeping. The fact that Martha allowed the mourners to come and be with Mary speaks to exactly where these two people are and what they're going through. And I'm not trying to be too rough on Mary and Martha. I'm not trying to be too hard on them for their unbelief and their doubt. But they knew that Jesus was coming. And I might even add this. They knew Jesus better than even you know Jesus. Some people don't like that. But you've never sat at a table with the physical body of your Lord and Savior. You don't know what he smells like. You don't know what his face looks like. One day, praise God, I will. And I won't have to be jealous of these Bible characters again. But Mary and Martha did. They knew how special he was. Even in a more intimate way than you do, and yet Lazarus wasn't in the house. He was wrapped in grave clothes in the grave. Why was Lazarus in the grave? If Jesus comes to town, can we not wait on his arrival to hear the final word of what he says? Can can we not wait for the Son of God to speak? He's coming and we understand his capability. It it makes no sense. Wrap him up and put him in the grave. No. Keep him in the house. Burn incense. Pray and ask God to send the son quickly. And then wait for the word of the son to say, yes, daughters, Lazarus is dead. Let that be the final nail in the coffin. Let that be the time and the place where you rub the body with oil and with incense and then wrap him in grave clothes. Would you just be willing to wait on the word of God to be the final word instead of what you know, what you see, and what you feel? Mary and Martha had a problem, and it's one that plagues the church even now. Stay with me here. Problem is that we allow the visual inspection of reality to be the poison that infects us with spiritual doubt. You're looking at a reality and you're assessing it. You're looking at a reality and a life and you're taking it into account. You're playing God. Well, he's got a heroin addiction and he has for 10 years. There's no hope. Write him off. Well, she's married to a woman and they live a homosexual lifestyle. They've adopted children and there's no hope. Write them off. Who are we to play God and put the reins of fate in our hands and say, well, it's just not worth trying anymore. No, no, no. Wait for the master to give the final word. When Jesus says it's done, then it will be done. And this spirit of Mary, this uncontrollable grief, I identify with it, I understand it. I'm not trying to be hard on Mary, but understand that this spirit of Mary will destroy you and it will rob you of your burden for lost people. The spirit of Mary leads to three things. Number one, it leads to funerals being planned for people who are not dead. It leads to mourning the death of someone who is still living. And lastly, it leads to assessing the emotional damage of the loss that is coming for someone who could still die in the faith. For them to have hope and for you to have hope that the Spirit would bear witness that God radically changed their life. Jesus looks at Mary and says, where have you laid him? It says he was troubled, he was groaning. Mary where did you take him? Where did you lay him? Almost as to say to Mary and to Martha, what have you done? Why why is he not in the house? Take me to him. Do you think for one minute that Jesus needed to know? Did he need a tom-tom or a GPS to take him to where Lazarus was? No, he knew where he was. But for your benefit and for mine, he looked at Mary and he said, where did you take him? Almost as a, father looks at his child and says, take me to where you messed up. Take me to the place where you begin to doubt my capability. Take me to the place where you gave up hope and you put the reins of God in your hands and you decided that Lazarus was dead. Take me to the place and show me where his body is. Almost to take the hand of a little child and go to the place where they messed up. And then fix the problem right before their very eyes. Some folks that are here today, you are living in the spirit of Mary. And there's somebody that you love, somebody that you care for, somebody that you've been friends with for a long time. And and, and let's be honest, they're in a very difficult place. Of the 1,864 contacts I have, I can think of some, some terrible situations. Oh God, some horrible situations. One in particular, a friend I used to work with. And I would share my faith and I would try to do my best. And together we would witness humanity's worst. Child abuse. Suicide effects of drugs and alcohol. All the death and all the dying and all the darkness. And he looked at me and he said, Stop sharing your faith. If your God is real, if he really is as big and is in charge as you say he is, then I hate him. And I will tell him to his face that I hate him. And in my way of looking... And in my way of understanding, it's so easy and it's so lazy to just take the reins of that situation and let go. And say, "Ah, there's no hope. He'll never see Christ. He'll never come to church. He'll never understand what it is to have a Christian family. And I just give up. And I'll go to the house and I'll open the door and I'll go in that living room with Mary and I'll just weep for somebody that's not dead. I'll plan a funeral for somebody that hasn't died yet. And I'll just give up. And even people who love Jesus, who know Jesus, can get to a place where Lazarus' dead, stinking body speaks too much of a reality that seems that Jesus is incapable or unable to do anything to change the situation. What a rotten lie from hell itself. I don't care how far your friend has gone. I don't care how low of a state your child lives. I don't care if they're a homosexual. I don't care if they have a drug problem. I don't care if they're addicted to alcohol. I don't care what it is. I don't care what the issue is. Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, the kindred of the Godhead, can reach down into the lowest place pick somebody up out of that mess, wipe them off, give them a new name, and say, you're mine. And he can do it at his pleasure. And it could be that in God's sovereignty and in God's perfect plan and in his perfect will, his plan was for you to do something about it. Hear me now. In his plan on the drawing board of heaven, God's perfect plan, it included you. You say, well, Pastor, God won't save anybody anywhere, anytime, and I don't have to be a part of it. Have you not read the New Testament? Have you not read Matthew 5, 6, and 7? God loves you so much that he included you to manifest his will for it to come to pass, for you to get off the couch of laziness and apathy and cold-heartedness and weep for lost people and tell them about Jesus being salt and being light. And every time you rob God of that opportunity to use you, it could be that that was that person's last chance. We're talking about some heavy stuff here. If you're not careful, you'll get so distracted and so founded on the goodness of God that you'll forget that you have a duty and a responsibility to point people to hope. To point people to truth. We say, well, the world's gone. The Lord's coming back. Circle the wagon. Sing kumbaya. I wholeheartedly reject that. I want as many people in this town to go to heaven as God will allow. Don't get in the house with Mary and mourn for a death that has not come, but rather, be like Martha. Somebody can help me on the piano. Be like Martha. Get out on the open road outside of Bethany and wait for Jesus to come. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. We don't have access. I hope you're paying attention this morning. Boy, Satan hates this message. I've been so sick all morning I thought I was going to throw my guts up. The devil's fought this for two weeks. Listen to me now. Your responsibility... Your task that was given to you by God himself could be the key to unlocking someone's eternity. Do you feel that weight? Do you understand what the Bible's teaching you this morning? Who is it that is waiting for you to step up to the plate and simply say, hey, do you know if you died today where you would spend all of eternity? Hey, would you come to CR with me on Thursday night? I want to introduce you to some friends of mine. Hey, I I know you're struggling, but would you come with me to church on Sunday? Would you love them enough just to speak the truth to them? Here's what I want you to do every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to think of one person. Don't think of a family, don't think of 10 people. I want you to narrow it down to one person. One person. Ask God to bring that person up in your heart. That person might be sitting right here with you and that's okay. Praise God for that. Now you've got your person in your mind and in your heart. I want you to see their face. Every detail you can remember about their face. Church, that's your Lazarus. That's your Lazarus. You say, Pastor, you don't understand how bad it is. I know I don't. But Jesus knows right where they are. Say, Pastor, it's been 15 years. There's no hope. It's not over. Until Jesus says it's over. And here's the truth. We don't have access to what Mary and Martha had. We cannot let Lazarus die. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's left us with the comforter, but I can't wait on Jesus to show up to Asheville to go resurrect one of my friends to give him another chance. He put it on you to play his part, to be the preserver that stops the rot, that stops the decay. It's on you. You play the role. You play the part. You speak the truth whoever that person is now on your mind get them in their mind get them in your mind close your eyes and on three i want you to say their name out loud don't do it softly i want you to say their name out loud if they're sitting next to you or they're in the building say another name god knows who they are on three say the name one two three matthew say it again one two three matthew Say it one more time, loudly. One, two, three. Matthew. Now would you get up out of your chair? And would you be Martha? And would you meet Jesus down here on the top of the road? And would you just bring that person and lay him at Jesus' feet? Lay her at Jesus' feet. And say, Lord, save my friend. Lord, save my son. Lord, save my Save my wife, save my daughter, save my granddaddy. God, would you give me a burden to pray for him every day? Would you give me an opportunity to share the truth and love that Jesus loves him, and then He died for him? And then, if you have no tears in your eyes, no burden in your heart, then I would ask you now, in this moment, to assess where you are with God, and say, Lord, I'm cold and I'm calloused. I want you to give me a burden like I've never had before. You see, you can't be right with God and not carry a burden. If you're not right with God, you can't carry your burden. And maybe here today you are the Lazarus. And you're dead in the trespass of your sin. In the eyes of glory, in the eyes of heaven, you're dead. And you can come today to this altar and you can ask someone to take the word of God and show you exactly what it says about what it means to have new life in Jesus. If God's dealing with your heart about salvation, I want you to come and give me. And we'll pray. Someone's got to sing. Miss Amber's going to sing. We're going to pray. You do business with the Lord. saved and on their way to heaven? What about your co-workers? Who in your life needs Jesus? Come pray for them. I am Holy Father, in Jesus name. Lord, we've tried to preach what you've put in our heart. Lord, for the one that's here today that doesn't understand the weight of eternity. Who has no grasp, who has no vision of what eternal life really looks like. And who has themselves the truth, and who knows Jesus personally, but carries no burden. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that would change. God, for the one that's been faithful to carry that burden for years, for the grandmother that's praying for her grandchildren for the father that's praying for his daughter, for the mother that's praying for her son. Lord, I pray that you'd intervene. Lord, our heart and our desire is to see the womb of the church open. God, the new converts, God, would fill the chairs in this room. Lord, that you would restore families whole to be able to be in this building together. Lord, I believe with all my heart that if you're willing to if we're willing to play our part God that there's some families that this time next year could have the Lazarus they prayed for today sitting in church with them Lord we believe and we claim the truth of your word that you're able to do as you please when you please how you please for your glory Lord save those daughters save those sons save the husbands, save the nieces, the nephews, the co-workers, the friends. God, I pray now that the convicting power of the Holy Ghost begin to do the work. And Lord, as we ask ourselves, who is Jesus? Lord, we can answer with a heart of confidence, a heart of authority. Jesus, you are the reason that Lazarus should have still been in the house. It's not over until you say it's over. Lord, I thank you for the CR ministry, for what they mean, these precious people. Lord, we pray that you grow the ministry or touch our church, break our heart for what breaks yours. I want all the members of the CR team quickly to come to the altar. Pastor Nathan, I want you to come. All members of CR, if you volunteer in any capacity, not just the ones that today were recognized, but if you volunteer in any capacity at CR, I want you to come. I want you to come. Deacons, would you come and help me pray? Pastors, would you come and help me pray? I want y'all to kneel. All that are able, just kneel right here in this altar. Deacons, I want you to surround them. This ministry is unique. Can be likened into a trench, people popping in, people popping out. The way of the world is a way of inconsistency. and oftentimes this ministry here can suffer the most loss, heartache and pain. They invest in people. They weep over them, and then they go missing, five, six, seven months at a time. They never come back. Sometimes it can rob you of the effort. It can rob you of the joy of doing this ministry. It takes someone who loves the Lord, who's committed to people, and for who sees the ministry for what it is, and that it's not about them to do this ministry. And we need to pray for them. You need to pray for every person that serves in this church. I don't care what capacity, from finance committee to deacons to media, there are so many opportunities to serve. But this ministry today that we're celebrating is one of the most difficult ministries that exists on our campus. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to keep these people and to encourage them to do what only He can. You pray with me. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come back into your presence. And God, we're thankful for an opportunity to be salt, to be light. God, to be the people you've called us to be. Lord, you put this ministry in our hands. God, it was birthed in heaven. It wasn't just a cute idea. It wasn't another time to, to kill time. Lord, you put it in our hearts. You birthed it in heaven and you put it in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for these past four years, the consistency of these volunteers, the willingness of these volunteers. God, for all the things that they've done that nobody saw. God, for the hours of preparation, of praying, of weeping, of carrying the burden. God, we thank you for them. And now, Jesus, we pray in your name, God, that you would stabilize this ministry, fortify the people who are serving, give them what they need for such an hour, for such a time as this. God, we are in the last days, the final chapters. And Lord, we believe that before this prayer is even over, that you could come. But Lord, our heart is that of urgency. Our heart is that of action. And Lord, we ask you to use this ministry to reach people for Jesus. God, that people with hurts and habits and hangups and addictions and problems and issues, God, that they would come flooding in on Thursday nights. That the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost of God would penetrate the most wicked, vile heart in the building. And that God, for your glory, you would save them and that you would bring them into the fellowship of this church. Help us to be faithful, to pray for this ministry, to love this ministry, and God, to make sure to sustain it for the future. Lord, we thank you for our time together today. We thank you for the truth of your word. We dedicate, celebrate recovery back to you yet again on this fourth year. It's in Jesus' name that everyone prayed together. Amen.